Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I've got a fantastic guest for you today, but real quick before we get to them, I have to tell you about Certified Piedmontese because this is a brand I am so excited about. In fact, I will never forget the first time I had Certified Piedmontese. The crown jewel of my initial visit to Casa Bovina was a beautiful rib cap that was so lean and tender, it was almost silky in texture. The moment that beef hit my taste buds, I was hooked. These animals are raised all natural on a network of family ranches across the Midwest, so Certified Piedmontese is able to cut out the middleman and buy directly from the source. And while I highly encourage you to check out Casa Bovina, you can savor this beef at home, too. Whether you order off Piedmontese.com or by calling one 800 414-3487, your purchase will be shipped directly to your front door. Plus, when you use my discount code HOPPEN, H-O-P-P-E-N, you get 25% off your order. How can you beat that? So what are you waiting for? Get some steaks, burgers, bacon, or other meats and experience the certified Piedmontese difference for yourself today. And now, to my guest. Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I'm your host, Dan Hoppin', and today... I want to talk about this place that has generated a lot of buzz down by the riverfront. Now, there's been a lot of just attention overall on this new development down by the riverfront because in downtown Omaha, excuse me, and a lot of it centers around the Kiewit Luminarium. And don't get me wrong, the Luminarium is super cool, highly encourage you to go. But for me, the most exciting part of this new development is actually the restaurant that's attached to the Luminarium, and that is Fig. And we're going to talk to the people who have brought that restaurant and that concept to life this morning. I've got Claire Watson Bartolome, Karina Figueroa, and Colin Dorer with me today. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Okay, so right off the bat, if anyone is familiar with Lola's, and you definitely should be familiar with Lola's, that's a, a cafe in Midtown Omaha. I've had uh, a couple of these guys on the show to talk about Lola's before. Beloved place. And it is a sister restaurant to Fig, but Fig is not, ex- it's not Lola's 2 or 2.0 or anything like that. No. It is its own thing. So if someone's visiting Fig or if they're like, oh, what, what, what is Fig? How would you explain it to someone who hasn't been there yet? So, yeah, Fig is, um, it's an all-day cafe located on uh, the riverfront and its relationship to Lola's is... Um, I think sister restaurant is a great way to put it. There's a lot of similarities between Lola's and Fig, um, mostly involving the quality of ingredients and the integrity of the food um, that we're producing. Fig's uh, menu is much more American focused than Lola's. Uh, Lola's tends to be a little bit more European focused, but Fig definitely tries to reach a very broad audience that we see coming through um, the riverfront and the luminarium with that. When you say more American-focused, what does that mean? There's a burger. <laughs> there is a burger. There's That's pretty American. French fries. Yeah. <laughs> Chicken tenders. Chicken tenders. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't know if you'd necessarily see those on the menu at Lola's. But yes. with that, you know, we the burger is sourced well you know the ingredients that make that burger are going to come from local farms lola's makes the bun for it and that just really makes that burger so much better because we aren't just picking up whatever we can find you know and going going that route so it makes it makes it that much 
it's different menu items, but the same like concept, the same integrity, the same focus on local ingredients. That's kind of the connector. So as you guys are getting the opportunity to open up FIG and you're thinking about this concept and what it is, how important was it for you to establish something that, yes, it has some of those same familiar elements that you might experience at Lola's, including the bread and the pastries, but we also want it to have a distinct personality. How important was that to you? It was very important, um, definitely. And thinking about the, the audience, like I mentioned before, just how much wider that audience is coming in through the museum and through the park, we wanted to make sure we could um, meet everybody where they were in terms of their palate, but while still sort of pushing the envelope into what things could taste like. So broadening horizons while keeping people. What I love about Fig is that it has a very similar ethos to Lola's, I feel like. And and Lola is like, if you go in there and you get something off that menu, you're only going to see four or five components in a sandwich or a breakfast dish or something like that. And I feel like that's very similar at Fig. Maybe, maybe you'll see a few more, but most things are, it's like, you know, you're only seeing on the, if you look on the menu, it's three or four things coming together. It's not like, oh, here's 20 components slapped dash together. Like the burger is not a burger with, you know, foie gras and bacon jam and all this like crazy stuff but it's just a good hearty like good tasting burger with great local ingredients like you mentioned colin what is the value to you guys in just keeping things simple and letting the food speak for itself i think i mean part of it is for me and for all of us the biggest thing is working with those producers and celebrating the farm and the purveyors and where we're coming from we had a big discussion the other day about how tomatoes are almost not in season anymore. And are we going to be the restaurant that doesn't have tomatoes in the winter? Because tomatoes in the winter taste terrible because they <laughs> taste like water. So we're like, do we make tomato jam? Do we do something to try and push the palate a little bit? Or do we just not have tomatoes? Because that's the reality of the seasons that we're in. So it's it's just about celebrating where we are, highlighting the bread, highlighting the coffee, highlighting all those people and letting those ingredients sing too. Yeah, and stacking flavors and just yep. like making everything bigger, you know? No bigger is better. Yeah. <laughs> how, how challenging is that though to have to have that that restraint and be able to say, you know, a, a tomato is an important, you know, component for several dishes in our restaurant, we could get, you know, tomatoes from IV or, you know, whatever, whatever purveyor it might be. I'm not trying to say bad things about IV. I love IV, but, but, uh, but you, but you could get tomatoes. They just wouldn't be the same quality. They wouldn't be where you're at. Like how tough is it to have to like redirect and pivot the menu totally. based off what is freshest and what's available? I think it's more stressful to make something that is not good, good. So you just pivot. Yeah. Yeah, you just look at the seasonality of what's coming up and working with the different farmers of what's growing and what's not growing. And, I mean, there's a farm that we work with through Lone Tree that is growing, like, a specific kale for a dish that they're hoping to use. You know, they hadn't been growing this kale before, and it's... Oh, that's really? A, you know, that's a new thing that's, like, something to be excited about. That's really cool. Yeah. And 
like Karina said, bigger is not always better. And sometimes adding more and more and more just brings it down and you lose sight of what you're going for. So you got all those things on a burger. Maybe there's a place for that some, some days, but it's also nice just to get back to, um, you know, what the essence is. And in the same way, like a bad tomato can really bring that burger down. So got to just get rid of it. The whole thing's better. Mm-hmm. And, wait. <laughs> and then that t- tomato in the summer is going to taste so much better. Oh. You know, once you get to it at that time, you're going to be like, I love tomatoes. And then you're going to eat it in the winter and be like, I hate tomatoes. <laughs> I, I love I love that philosophy. Well, I, I no, I, I love that philosophy. <laughs> and it makes me think of Kitchen Table, which is another downtown restaurant. Their BLT is one of my favorite sandwiches in Omaha, but they will only sell it for like six weeks yeah. during the year when tomatoes are at their freshest point and they will only serve tomatoes from a certain farm. And I get it yeah. because I'm like, Yes, like that that is the highlight. That's when that product is going to be at its absolute best. But like right now in you know, late September, I'm like, man, I really want that BLT and I can't have it. But I know that it wouldn't taste the same. So there's yeah. no no point anyway. To look forward to. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. But there's ways to reinvent that, you know. The B or the L could stand for a different letter, you know. I've seen people do a golden beat to BLT and that gives it a different flavor but that's the seasonality of what of what we're looking for and i imagine that helps keep things fresh for you guys you know you're not just creating the same dishes over and over again but you're getting a chance to show your creativity and be like okay we can't use tomatoes but how do we get that to what's what's the stand-in for a tomato how do we still kind of get that that accented flavor without using that direct product does that does that help keep things fresh and a little bit alive in the restaurant uh Uh, yes it does (laughs) yeah yeah definitely so i want to talk a little bit more about the menu at fega and you talked about this a little bit claire but i want to dive into it more so the menu has several breakfast dishes sandwiches and a burger those are you know fairly expected but you've also got a cheese plate you've got a hummus bowl you've got steak you've got salmon as you're developing the menu and you've got this, like you mentioned, Claire, this completely different market that you're going to be serving from what you're serving at Lola's, how did you kind of develop the menu and decide this is the uh, personality that Fig is going to have on its menu? Yeah, well, since it is an all-day menu, so the breakfast sandwich until we close at 6 p.m., um, and you can get the salmon for breakfast if you wanted to. That's not good. Um making sure that that menu is balanced with all of the potential occasions that happen in a day. So, um, you know, you might have visited the museum or the park later in the day and are looking for an early dinner. So having some of those uh, dinner-like entrees on there to um, satisfy that guest, um, as well as, you know, several options for breakfast. Um, And, you know, arguably the quiche and uh, breakfast sandwich are great lunch items too so they're not hurting anyone um, being on their always making sure and then we also love vegetables um, big big proponent as anybody who's eaten at Lola's knows it's great to find fresh delicious vegetables at a restaurant and you don't always find them so we wanted to make sure that the menu was balanced with 
know, I want to talk about that breakfast sandwich, and it's it's a it's a good thing that it's available all day because it does not need to be in the AM for you to enjoy that thing. I like breakfast sandwiches are one of my love languages, and the eggs on that sandwich are so good. They're, they're just so creamy and so fluffy. And on KMTV, Claire, you said that this is modeled after a classic New York breakfast sandwich. Tell me about that a little bit. How, like, what is it about that sandwich specifically that you were able to translate here into this breakfast sandwich? Um, so, yeah, in New York, uh, there's these breakfast carts that roll out starting at 6.30, 6 a.m., um, and they only last until about 10, uh, and they serve egg sandwiches, eggs on roll, egg and cheese on a roll, egg bacon dishes, yeah, yeah, just like yeah. real simple. Bread, we got eggs, we got cheese, up in foil, and it's delicious, perfect. Out the city, people are walking around eating those every morning. Um, and so we wanted to include that at FIG, um, given the location, how there's many walking trails um, or walking paths that you can take. Anybody coming in to grab that, have that sort of walking, eating experience. It's also great in the cafe if you want to sit and eat it there. Um, but so that was really the inspiration of that, like simplicity at its best. We have four things. But yeah, which getting up, going to, you know, the bodega or now fig, getting that <laughs> sandwich and a black coffee and just walking around, it's going to make your day better. <laughs> so I, I encourage you to, to do that. I agree with that 100%. And I, I want to get into, I want to dive into the eggs a little bit more. Uh, I'm not asking you to like give away your secrets or anything like that or, you know, give me the recipe, but there is only one other place in town that has like that style of egg to me that is just that creamy, that fluffy, that airy, like you bite into it and it's, it's unlike really any other egg that you find here. What Trying not to make you give away, like, you know how you bake it. But, okay, tell me, yeah. If you want to tell me, I'll I'll take it. Yeah, let's do it. That's farm fresh eggs. Yeah. Just, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You crack those eggs and you crack those eggs, you're just like orange. Scramble it. Yeah. And then you put pat of butter in the skillet. You add your eggs and then you whisk. You scramble. Yeah. <laughs> you whisk, you whisk, you whisk yeah. until you get it very soft and that's it. Yeah, add salt. Okay, well, that was a very simple secret, <laughs> but it was, I mean. It's all about, it goes back to tomatoes or whatever. It's all about that ingredient and where it's coming from, how it's sourced and how important that is. And farm fresh eggs, working with the local farms, it, you see that difference, you know, and yeah. you taste it. If you go get a white egg, uh, that's not the color of most eggs, versus a farm fresh egg, it's. Miles different. Yeah. Miles different. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned that this is a great sandwich just on the go. Something that you, I mean, you can sit in the restaurant and enjoy it. I did. I loved it. Yeah. But you can grab it and you can, there are all kinds of trails. There's all kinds of stuff to do in the new riverfront development. As you're creating this menu, how important was it to, yes, we've got a salmon dish. We've got, you know, steak. We've got stuff where you can come in and have an entree. But we also need to create some items that people can just come in and grab and take and go. Like, how how forefront in your mind was that as you're developing the menu? Yeah, it was very important. We thought about it all the time. Like, how are we going to meet that demand, you know? So in addition to those, like, very easy things to take out of the cafe, we also have a grab-and-go um, rich that we have, like, 
some pre-made sandwiches of that day uh, and salads and some drinks. Mm -hmm. There's one other uh, menu item that I want to highlight, and that is the hummus bowl, which when you look at it just on the menu, it seems kind of random. You've got hummus and roasted chicken and pickled beets and cabbage and quinoa and just all this stuff in a bowl. But when you mix it up and eat it, it all just works together. Like there's just, just this cavalcade of textures and flavors that come together. All these seemingly disparate parts like become this cohesive dish. I, I just want the origin story behind the hummus bowl, how it was created, what the thought behind it was. Give me anything you can on this because it's an awesome item. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I think that the starting point is hummus is amazing and mixing pretty much anything with hummus is delicious uh yeah and so um yeah i mean what what more to say it was components that we had um in the kitchen so crossing from other dishes uh that could then be prepared for the hummus. um and say this is a good connection though to lola's too hummus is a big staple there and we kind of knew we had to have some sort of hummus available whether it was a snack but developing it into more of a lunch item that with the bowl adding all these different components and then finishing it off with ciabatta to be the it's amazing too because when you eat that hummus bowl it's very satisfying like it's hearty but yet you don't feel so full you couldn't do anything you feel energized healthy but it's delicious and yeah yeah i i can definitely confirm it's a it's a big bowl but yeah it, it's like i mean i remember eating that i was like man i i feel very full but i could also go for a run right now if i wanted to and i think that's kind of a through line through your menu as all well. now you do have a couple of heavier items like a, you're probably not gonna if you have a burger or a steak you kind of know what you're getting into that's going to be a little bit more maybe don't go on a run yeah a little bit more dense but I would say even, you know, the breakfast sandwich, the salmon toast, like obviously the hum hummus bowl that we mentioned, like, it, you know, there's several different salads and stuff. A lot of this is pretty clean eating, which is familiar at Lola's to begin with. But also, again, if you're down in the riverfront area, you're probably doing something active. You're at least walking around the luminarium. You might be going and playing sand volleyball. You might be, you know, chasing the kids around on the uh, the playground that's out there. How important was it to just have like really clean items like you mentioned, Claire, that you eat this and you still, you don't need to go take a nap afterwards. You still feel like I can be yeah. active now. I mean, I think that um, one of the principles when we started Lola's and then again, big is we want to create dining experiences that feel exactly like that. Like everybody should have three meals a day. Sometimes if you eat a certain type of lunch might not be ready for dinner. Um, so making sure that the dishes that we're putting out are checking all of the boxes. They're filling, they're nutritious, they're satisfying in the way that they taste, um, but that also, like, above all, it's like, you know, we know it's like you're, like, on your lunch break and you have to go back to work and then you have a lunch and all you want to do is <laughs> and you have to go back to work and have a, have a good lunch and go back to work. I love that. 
Now, the lot, when I had you guys on the podcast last time talking about Lola's, Steve was running the baking program or the bread program. Is that still the case? Awesome. So shout out to Steve because he's doing some amazing work. Right. Big shout out yeah. to Steve. Yeah. So yeah, Lola's Bakery just recently moved um, from the cafe space to a production bakery. So Steve got um, his first bread ovens. Uh, if you can believe he was producing all of that bread for Lola's without a bread oven. Are you kidding me? All those years. No, just, yeah. And tangent with the kitchen. It was Major of very crowded space. Lola's uh, bread volume alone um, was made it necessary for us to think about where we were going to grow to, um, and so we did find um, a production space. Our partner Phil owns uh, Lyle's Pizzeria. Fantastic pizza place. Marriage was born between Lola's and Lyle's, where Lola's Bakery does the dough for Lyle's. Um, so we're right in the basement. So that sourdough pizza crust um, is part of Steve's operation now, as well as all of the bread for. Mm. And just to be clear, that pizza is phenomenal. Steve is doing God's work with that crust because it just makes tremendous pizzas. Well, how big of a game changer is it to be able to have that dedicated space and like this is probably really obvious to you guys, but a lot of people probably don't even know. Like, what's the difference between a bread oven and just a normal oven? Like, how does that change the game for Steve and everyone who's making bread at Lola's? Yeah, so um, so a bread oven has, um, you know, it's a deck oven uh, that has steam injection that is um, makes it possible for him to bake the round sourdough loaves just like on the stones of the oven where before he was using cast iron pots, like, um, yeah, like, like a Dutch oven, like a Dutch oven. Oh my gosh. He had like probably 10 of them. <laughs> so you would hear the bakers just like changing the ovens and like putting the lids on and like those things are heavy, you know? So do 10 in a row and you have to do it really fast because the kitchen needs the oven too. So yeah, the deck oven. Verified for space a lot. Yeah, the deck oven is great because you have way more space. Like Claire says, uh, it's steam injected, so you can just bake them without any yeah, uh, lid. Yeah, the lid of the casting hot created that humidity that's necessary for that crispy crust, the bread. And so now he's able to do baguettes um, in the bread oven, which he had never, uh, he was never satisfied outcome of his baguettes, a convection oven. Convection oven also has a fan, which is um, not great. Holy cow. I thought I was impressed with Steve and his bread before. Now I know that he was having to MacGyver the whole situation, and yeah, yeah. he was still making that quality of bread. And the pastries. And, and the pastries, and yeah. Pastries. Goodness, because, yeah. yeah, bread just wouldn't have been enough. Right. So, um, yeah, just to be clear, you guys have said it, but if you go down to Fig, any bread that you get there, whether it's a baguette or anything from a sandwich, that's going to be that Lola's bread, that same high quality that we're talking about. But I want to talk about the pastries, too, because there's there's a pastry case down at Fig that has that those same quality pastries, and you can go sweet, you can go savory, there's all kinds of different options. So I just want to ask you guys, like, what's your favorite? Like, if you if you have to pick one, or if you come down and you look in the pastry case and you're like, oh, that's here today? Yes. Let's shout out some pastries here. Chocolate nut. <laughs> Chocolate nut. I, yeah, citrus cake. They've been doing the sweet potato cake with the meringue is really great. 
that very, very fall right now on this 90 degree day. <laughs> that, that one's very popular. Obviously the chocolate chip cookies and the brownies that they've developed are very popular for the museum goers, but. The sourdough Danish. Yeah. With fruit and cream on it. Yeah. The nice one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That, that gives people some, some things to look for when they come down. Karina, I gotta agree with you. That chocolate knot is just—it's—it's it's stupid. It, it's ridiculous. Just brioche bread combined with chocolate. That's like almost not fair. Amazing, yeah. Every time I have, when I have a little bite. <laughs> yeah, there's no such thing as a little bite, but that thing. Yeah. <laughs> hey there, listeners. We'll get back to my guest in a minute, but I gotta remind you one more time about certified Piedmontese. There are certain moments in your life that are so remarkable, you'll just never forget them. I distinctly remember the first time that I watched LeBron James play basketball and the first time I saw the original Star Wars. The sheer awe I had in those moments changed the way I look at basketball and movies, respectively, moving forward. The same goes to steak, thanks to certified Piedmontese. The rib cap at Casa Bovina is so rich, decadent, and fork tender that it is seared into my brain. But you don't have to dine at Casa Bovina to have that same life-changing experience. This beef is so delicious, even the average home cook can look like a superstar using these steaks, roasts, and ground beef. Trust me, I know from experience. Check out all the options on CertifiedPiedmontese.com and use my promo code HOPPEN, H-O-P-P-E-N, for 25% off your order. It's time to start creating new beef-centric memories that'll stay with you forever. And now, back to my guest. So, being a part of the Luminarium is a big deal. Like, this whole riverfront uh, development is has been, you know, something pretty big for Omaha. But the Luminarium itself, I mean, there was a lot of buzz coming into this thing before it opened. And, and that's only continued as people have gone over the last several months. I want to say it opened in April. Yes. Okay, good. I had that in my notes. I lost it somewhere, but yes, it opened in April. How did the opportunity for you guys arise to be a part of that? Because I assume they were like pretty much any tour would have been interested if they were approached with that opportunity. This is not a small deal at all. How did the opportunity arise for you guys to move in and, and open FIG in connection with the Luminarium? Yeah, um, the museum is amazing. Omaha is so lucky to have the Science Discovery Museum it is run by um, just a very inspiring woman named Silva Raker, um, who came from the uh, San Francisco Exploratorium, so a very similar uh, museum. She came to consult on the project originally and ended up um, staying to run the Luminarium because she liked us so much. She lives in the Dundee neighborhood. She came to Lola a lot, um, and she... Um, she shared that she was very impressed uh, with how Lola's had um, partnered with a cultural nonprofit like Filmstreams and activated the space. Um, and so she was interested in having conversations with us about what we could do at the museum. So that is how the opportunity arises because of Silva. We're very thankful for it. <laughs> so that that's a really interesting point that you brought up that I hadn't thought about. And just for people listening who don't know, Lola's is connected with a movie theater film streams so it's kind of a you know a collaborative space almost you can obviously go into lola's and just enjoy a meal there if you wanted to same as you can do with fig but there's that entertainment aspect as well like 
Is there anything you do about a, the restaurant differently because that partnership exists with the Luminarium and with film streams or like, what am I trying to say here? Definitely. Yeah, oh, yeah, yes. Definitely. Okay. Okay. There we go. Yes and no. I mean, uh, it's very important for us to um, make sure that our restaurants, both Lola's and Fig, stand on their own and that they would be a destination for anybody in Omaha. Um, but the considerations made in developing the concepts, both at Lola's and Fig, had everything to do with the location that we are in. So the menu is influenced by where we are. When we opened Lola's, we thought a lot about... Um, what type of food could be taken into the theater without being bothersome to other guests in the theater? So non-messy, non-smelly, non-loud meals. So sandwiches, as everybody knows, is a cornerstone um, of our our cafe. Um, and those sandwiches were painstakingly designed based on how much they would fall apart when you paint them. And then at FIG, this... Thing. We knew, like I said before, that there would be all different types of people coming through um, the museum and the park and needing to make sure we had something on the menu that um, everybody could eat. And, you know, we have a, a pretty large kids menu on yes. this big menu um, because of all those kids that come to Yeah, and what's been amazing, too, is you said the, muse the museum opened in April and we opened when they did. But the park didn't open until August, and it, ever since the park's opened, it's kind of changed our dynamic a little bit in terms of where people enter our cafe. You know, we have a long counter, so we have a register on each side. But before, the majority of our crowd came from the museum. Now that the park's open, it's very almost 50-50. It really just depends, you know. The museum's now closed on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, but we remain open. So we definitely are seeking that downtown crowd, the park goer, and people who are just out for lunch or a coffee. So it's really, it's really shaped how people enter and interact. So what adjustments did you have to make when the park opened and all of a sudden a lot more of your traffic is coming in through the main restaurant doors as opposed to coming in through the Luminarium? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely shifted for our baristas and our counter servers how they interact with people in terms of where they're going and orienting people to the place and where menus are and how to just engaging with people more. Uh, before, you know, people kind of just came in and they maybe knew what they were doing, but still were not even six months old. So it's hard to say what is the norm you know every every day is still different it's exciting mm -hmm. now on the last podcast Karina and Claire where we talked about Lola's we got into your backgrounds a little bit and talked about how you came to Omaha open Lola's and everything but how did you guys get connected with Colin Colin I want to hear like what what got you into the hospitality industry and then how did you get hooked up with these guys as they started to consider what fig was going to be yeah <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, she arrived at the perfect time. <laughs> I I joined the Fig team in December, prior to opening. I think I reached out to you guys when I heard about the announcement. I'm originally from Omaha. I lived on the West Coast for a while, 
and then had a job where I was traveling for five years, um, running farm-to-table events, working with farmers, celebrating farms, doing large 300-plus person dinners all across the country. And then the world shut down, and you weren't allowed to have dinner with people. So I moved back to Omaha and kind of bopped around. And then when I heard about this exciting development, I reached out and have been here since. I think everything everything that we've done and everything that the city's done, it's just been amazing to see. You know, Omaha is a cool town. There are things going on. We, we're in the center of things. I, I've lived all across the country. I've been everywhere and I always said that I thought I would end up back here but I didn't think it would be because of the pandemic. <laughs> you weren't planning on that pandemic that would force me back here but it's been it's been really exciting to see and experience the city that I grew up in as an adult I'm really curious to get your perspective on that because you know you mentioned you were gone for five years and I feel like 15 really 15 okay never mind forget five uh i mean omaha's restaurant scene really has grown a lot in the past decade i would say you see a lot of different styles of cuisine just all kinds of different restaurants it's not just burgers and steakhouses and corn anymore there's a great variety when you came back were you almost like what what was your impression of the omaha scene were you surprised was it like whoa this is different or just what were your impressions i mean i wasn't I always keep tabs, you know, I always, I still follow, follow along wherever I'm going. I pay attention a lot to the news and what's happening. So I, I wasn't completely surprised, but I was excited when I actually came and ate a meal. You know, there are, yeah, we have some amazing restaurants here. We have a lot of, I feel like a number of other people who have moved back to Omaha and seen that they can do things here, you know. They moved back here. Mm-hmm. They uh, started a restaurant. I think there's excitement that you can come back and do that. You don't have to create and fight to be a restaurant in New York or a restaurant in San Francisco or wherever else where those are exciting destinations. But we can do exciting things here, too. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think there's always potential and we just need to make it happen. Obviously, that's easier said than done, but I think there's a lot of restaurants like the ones you guys have are are making it happen, focusing on those, you know, super hyper seasonal ingredients, trying to be intentional with your dishes and not just throwing stuff on a plate. I think that that's really important in pushing our restaurant scene forward. Well, and I think that creates opportunities for other people, you know, when they see it happening and they're like, oh, we can do that or we can try and do that. Oh, you're you can eat seasonally. We can. It's inspirational. Yeah, and I think that is exciting because it, you know, we want to grow the community. It's not all competitive. We want to work with other people and grow that at the same time. Mm-hmm. Now, when a lot of people think of a restaurant, the first thing they think about is the food, obviously, and food is super important. But if the experience for the diner is subpar, that can submarine a meal, even if the food is great. Colin runs a great front of house. He does a really, really good job with that. I would love to get you guys' perspective. What is it about Colin that, what what <laughs> skills does he possess that make him just uniquely perfect to fit that front of house role? <laughs> just all of them. 
Um, no, we um, we are so lucky to have Colin. He's a natural born professional. Um, and I think that maybe your greatest strength is um, the fact that nothing bothers you. Like you can kind of like ride above all of the waves. Like you get thrown a lot of choppy water sometimes in a restaurant. There's any number of things that can come up in 15 minutes that could rile certain people up. Um, but I think that uh, staying even keel as Colin can do, he's able to then put on that great face um, as a host to our guests, as a leader to the team, um, and ultimately problem solver that be as a general manager so it's one of the strongest very well said very gracious i always like to say that i always tell our staff we don't work in a hospital and i think that's the biggest thing is like people get so stressed and they're like i need to get this out of water to somebody and it's like <laughs> it'll be fine yeah we'll get them their water you know, so much respect for people that do work in a hospital. We work in hospitality. We are here, as Claire said earlier, to meet people where they are and help them have a good day. So let's let's do that. Um, when I worked these events out traveling the country, I always remember a day where it was about to rain and I was putting my raincoat on. And there, our director was like, why are you putting your raincoat on? The guests are going to think it's raining. And I was like, yes, right, it, it is raining. But it's just that mentality of like, oh, if I'm stressed, they're stressed. You know, you have to just. Yeah. Kind of look it up to the flight attendant, right? Yeah. And turbulence. Yeah. And you're looking at them like, are they are they like freaking out or not? Yeah. So that calms you down. It'll be okay. Screw it. I like that. Nobody's dying yeah. if they don't get their egg sandwich in the next 60 seconds. Yeah. It's going to be all right. If they get it in 63, it'll be okay. Yeah. And. Spot. Obviously, we want to get you your food quick. But right. I had a responding to that situation that is, you know, inevitably going to present itself at different times where food's going to take a little bit longer than it should, or somebody got the wrong thing, maybe punched it in wrong, or the kitchen made something incorrectly. Um, and just yesterday, I had this situation, and I, you know, I'm watching and I'm seeing all of this stuff, and then I'm about to get up to check and see where this um, gentleman's sandwich is. And here comes Colin, a cone of fries for this guy as he waits for his sandwich. And that's all that it takes. You make him comfortable, give him something else, cup of soup, pastry, something to make him comfortable while they wait for the thing that they actually ordered. So, yeah. spot on. <laughs> I mean, that that does seem simple, but it, but it's hard. It, it takes time to develop that skill to not, to not, lose it when you know everything especially during super crazy times when you're in the weeds and everything's going down around you to just be able to pause and say okay i can't get this guy this sandwich right now when he expects it how can i rectify this situation how can i make him happy and show him that he's cared for until that sandwich arrives there so yeah it, it might seem simple but that's a very difficult skill and one that i don't think a lot of people have and it stands out when you see it in a restaurant yeah yeah, you don't want to go out to eat with me because I am like, <laughs> I'm like looking. <laughs> You're analyzing at all times. Like, why are you not doing that? Yeah, same, same. It's like I see all of the, all yeah. the different tables. Enjoy this. Enjoy this. Yeah. Is it possible to shut that off or are your brains just constantly processing 
not only what's going on around you, but but even the food itself. Like when, when you eat, are you thinking, hey, this could use more salt or oh man, how could I incorporate this into a dish at Lola's or Faye? Like, can you enjoy meals out or is your brain just constantly going? Uh, well, it helps to sit with your back. <laughs> yeah. Like a kitchen. Yeah. We're gonna, yeah. Always. Yeah. I think it's hard. It <laughs> it's is tough. hard. It's difficult. I mean, I'm a, I think I'm a food modifier too. And I see a menu, I'm like, oh, that could, I don't, you know, that could have this change. That could, but don't be that person and ask for that change. You don't want to do that. Or why did they fold the napkin this way or whatever? I think, I think where I enjoy those interactions or where I am able to release from that is at some of Omaha's places that have been around forever, you know, because it's like this 70 year old server who I'm like, you know what you're doing. I don't, I'm going to be, I know what I'm going to get and I'm going to be happy and it's going to be fine, you know, or places that I end up becoming a regular at and places like that, that it's like, all right, I trust it here. Yeah. Yep. Now I'm just going to be judging every restaurant by its napkin folding. Yeah, it's going to be the first thing I notice every every place. Okay, so April fifteenth, that was opening day. Ah. What do you guys remember about your feelings the night before? <laughs> uh, because I mean, it helps that you'd opened a restaurant already, so you kind of know what you're getting into. But at the same time, as we've mentioned, totally different area of town, totally different clientele, different menu. What were your feelings like night before? So we we opened we opened um, the same day as the museum, and the night before the museum threw a party for eight hundred guests. So we created the party. Oh God! <laughs> the day before yeah. we were well, like probably the two weeks prior, it was just dressed like yeah. thinking about it. You know, it was first like we have to get the party. I don't open one six hours about like waking up and like having to do this. But yeah, I remember the most, um, the thing I kept thinking about the most was the flow of the front of house. Like, where are people gonna like, where are they gonna order? How are they gonna know where to go? And like things like that. But everything, you know, just gets figured out. Just have to give it a minute. It might not be perfect not gonna be you know you've never been open before so you have to figure some things out on the spot and to be gracious yeah we yeah we threw this big catering party the night before so that was definitely definitely a lot but we also we we prepped ourselves a little bit um that week before we were open for lunch service we did like a soft opening and invited people so we did get to see a little bit of that flow for our staff to go through those motions, which I think was really helpful for everybody. But it's a lot of what Karina just said. We didn't, where, where were people going to come from? Where was that flow? But it's also, it's changed now that the park's open and things are completely different from what you expect it to be. You know, we, now we're going into winter. We've yet to be open in the winter. What does that look like? Or what does yeah, so it's all it's all different for sure, but we'll see. <laughs> I, I think that's so fascinating because I think most people, you know, when they think of a restaurant, it's they think of, okay, the restaurant opens and then the restaurant is what it is. But that's, and, and with some places, maybe that's true. But yeah. for, for you guys, when you're talking about a seasonal menu or 
there are probably going to be less people coming down in winter. I guess I don't know that. We'll see. But like, is it going to work if we serve a, an egg sandwich at 5 p.m.? Are like, are people going to buy that? How 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 do you like how how do you monitor all this and and make adjustments on the fly, knowing that you know it's not just turn the key and open the doors, but we're going to have to be monitoring what's going on on certain days of the week, on certain months you know, times of the day, how do you keep your eyes on that? I think it's true that you have to be responsive, but you also have to give it a minute. You have to see patterns as they start to present themselves over time um, and not be completely reactionary. Um, the, the times that you need to be completely reactionary is if something like really not working, um, people aren't getting their orders or getting upset constantly at a certain point in the service flow. Um, we didn't see any of those. Um, but yeah, in terms of the patterns, you really don't start to see those for weeks. And then, you know, those weeks become a season and that season is only one season. Is it going right. to happen for next season? Um, but then listening to... Um, your your guests on what they're ordering so you know do they order some things more than others are those other things that they're not ordering worth keeping around um so keeping keeping track of those sorts of things and you can talk about all of the data tell me about some data i'm a data collector so i look at our pos uh point of sale one yeah our point of sale software uh, that includes all the orders, everything everybody ordered, you know, so I like look at it every day and then by the week and then by the month. So you can start seeing like what's all, what didn't sell, you know, what frequency, yeah. how many guests. So like player says, like you collect all this information for weeks until you start getting patterns. And that's how you, how I do it. Yeah. Something like, it's funny, the, the banana bread, the citrus cake. Like one week we'll have like low sales on the banana bread and high sales on the citrus cake. And then the next week we're like, we have to slash the citrus cake. Like the citrus cake is just like number one seller and like banana bread doesn't sell. So yeah. Yeah. Well, and from a, from a business standpoint, it's also interesting because a lot, you know, a lot of businesses will be like, oh, well this time last year we did this and we have to look at what are our projections and how do we meet those numbers at a percentage that's higher or how do we do that? But again, without having too much data still, it's like, how do we, how do we get there? What do we look at? Yeah. But we are, we are fortunate again to have the museum as a partner. We work closely with them on, they are sharing their data with us as well on what their ticket sales are. You know, we've worked with the park very closely as well. Mecca and the Riverfront team has been very helpful in terms of letting us know what events are going on and what's happening. You know, we're, as we've said, we're trying to create our own identity. We have our own doors. You don't have to have a ticket to come to the museum and say, like, we have our own thing going on here. Obviously, it's great when other people, other things are happening, but, yeah. What were some of the biggest, maybe, surprises or takeaways that you got from that data in the first couple months of opening FIG? Ah, uh, the people of Turkey, Really? <laughs> Except it, for me. <laughs> was the turkey sandwich like one of the best sellers? Turkey sandwiches, uh, 
Pittsburghers, you know, and um, so yeah, to start there, I was like so surprised because I personally can say it. I hate turkey sandwiches. (laughs) All turkey turkey sandwiches. Yeah, and we tested a lot of turkey. We made Karina test a lot of different turkeys. (laughs) (laughs) When we were developing, you have to have a turkey sandwich. So when I can see in the day, like turkey sandwich, turkey sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) What are these people doing? I I love turkey sandwiches. Yeah, didn't see where it's coming from, but yeah. That was a, that was a surprise. That was a surprise, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the hummus bowl, you know, yeah. Like we knew it was gonna be delicious. It was a cool idea, but like I really didn't know. They sell, yeah. I feel like it. What's been what's been interesting with some of the data though too has been seeing the change since the parks opened. Yeah, you know, I think we've sold a lot more breakfast sandwiches since then, and different things just seeing what like a new crowd is getting park is great for omaha and really has brought out a whole new slew of people well it's a completely different crowd i mean if you're talking the people that are going to the museum that's probably going to be the majority families with with young kids who are going to be ordering a lot they're probably going to be ordering you know more turkey sandwiches you know just something safe like that or things off the kids menu but when you open it up to the park, all of a sudden you've got a lot more adults coming in, people who are active outside, crazy people like me who will drive all the way across town to, to come just to eat there. Like, uh, yeah, that's a, a huge shift for you guys, I assume. Yeah. Oh, yeah. H- how do you... I'm sorry. I, I j- I'm so interested in this thread <laughs> that we've stumbled upon here. Like, yeah. how do you balance that that feeling between being overreactionary and showing patience as well. Like the example with the banana bread and the citrus cake, like if citrus cake isn't selling for a week or two weeks, you know, whatever period that might be, how do you say, gosh, do we need to cut back on this a lot? Or no, I think the citrus cake is going to bounce back. Or, you know, if everybody's buying the turkey sandwich, do we need to, you know, buy a lot more turkey and be prepared for this? How do you find that balance between, being calm and like analyzing the data, but also being able to pivot very quickly if you need to. <laughs> well, you said bars for things, right? So you set a number of like what you think your sales are going to be and you prepare for that. So you have to be very well prepared. As for the balance of being reactionary, but being patient, I don't know, you have to ask Colin. <laughs> All right, Colin, what do you got? Yeah, I mean... A lot of it is just communicating, you know, and being being honest with people. If we are out of something, it it'll come back, you know. It'll it'll be okay. Get through it together. I'll look at this other great option that we have, you know, and just communicating and being yeah, being honest about what we're doing. Even it's a weird example, but in our grab and go cooler in the fridge, we carry a tea product called Sound, but that's an item that takes some time to get in. So it's always like, oh, we don't know when it'll show up. But people oftentimes are like, when is that coming? You never have it. And we're like, we've ordered it. It's coming. Trust us. And when it's here, you really enjoy it. Same with the tomato. When it's around that time, you're really going to like it. Yeah. We're, we're, all, we're all in it together. Yeah. 
And you, I mean, you have to give it time, you know, because something is not working day one. You can't be like, I'm taking it out of the menus. Like, it takes a little time for people to get in and try different things. And then you're like, oh, I love that chocolate nut. So I'm just, you know. Yeah. Just have to give it time. Give it some time. All right. I have absolutely loved this conversation. You guys have been so much fun. And I think given a lot of insight, too, into just how restaurants work. I love just being able to peel back that curtain a little bit. I've got two more questions for you that I like to ask everybody I have on this show. And I think I asked Claire and Karina, I think I asked you guys this last time, but that was a couple of years ago. Your opinions might have changed. So first question, what is one thing that you wish that just the dining public understood better about the restaurant industry that you don't think that they understand right now? I I would throw out food cost, you know. Okay. Like every everything has gone up, everything's rising. There's a reason why things cost what they cost. Um, and I I always think it's funny when if somebody comes in and is like, well, I can get that at McDonald's for cheaper. Or I can make that at home for cheaper. Well, then go do that. You know, <laughs> it won't be as delicious. And, I can tell you that much. And yeah, it won't be as flavorful. You won't have the same experience of where you're dining and ev- like everything costs money. You know, if somebody picks up a wad of eight napkins as opposed to just the two that they're actually going to use, every single napkin costs money, all of those things. So it's, I think that's a huge thing that I think a lot of people don't realize. You're so right, you know, and like, yeah, things, some things might be a little bit more than others, but, you know, it's like also like we like to, we love to support the local economy, you know. So for now, that means that prices will higher um but yeah yeah for uh perspective on that when we opened lola's we were paying so 42 to 43 dollars bag of organic red flour that in the last year has peaked at 60 so like she's team dollar jump and yeah, I was guessing, I don't even know how many bags of flour you guys go through in a week, but I imagine that number is astronomically high. Yeah. I mean, the eggs, you know, it's like pre-pandemic. It wasn't what it's now. <laughs> yeah. Um, our partner likes to say that um, owning a restaurant is like a game of pennies or a war of pennies. Like every penny counts for everything. So we cost things down to the ingredient in order to get accurate prices to make sure that we are covering our costs you know it can happen real fast and it's like wow i made over my head and i haven't been getting enough to support this business and i'm only realizing it now i have to shut my doors and so when you see restaurants close in a week it's because of that it's escalating costs that come and bite you if you're not taking the responsibility mm-hmm. at all of the levels um and i think uh, you know, the the stress of being in hospitality and food service, while it's not a hospital, sometimes <laughs> the levels of stress and are very high. Um, and so people are dealing with a lot and their job is, make no mistake, their job is to be absolutely hospitable and friendly, even with all of the stress that they're dealing with. That's our expectation. Um, but the, the dining should know if they've never worked in service there's a lot of 
lot of things that that server that they're encountering are dealing with. Yeah, yeah. Not just one tape. Just patience and understanding overall, I think, is huge. And just to touch real quick on that food cost thing, I was just talking to a, uh, a barbecue restaurant owner the other day who charges $32 a pound for brisket, which seems like a lot. And he's like, I'd lose money on brisket. It, it's it's just so expensive and prices are going up and, and he's looking at like, what different meats can I, can I bring in bison? Can, can I like start looking at some different like bird, like quail, pheasant? What can I do to, because these prices of the things that people expect are going up so much. So listeners, if you, if you're like, oh, why, why is this place charging me $15 for a burger? I can just go get a McDouble at McDonald's for two bucks. Go do that. It's it's not it's gonna taste a fraction as good. It's not gonna be as fresh. It's not gonna give you that clean feeling. You're not supporting the local economy. Your restaurants are not trying to steal money from you, and they are not. <laughs> yeah. They're they're <laughs> doing what they can to cover their costs and make a little bit of profit because ultimately that's why any of us have jobs. Uh, we want to stay open and keep feeding. Love it. Okay, so I don't want to end on negativity. I want to end on positivity. <laughs> yeah. So what is you guys' favorite thing about being in the hospitality industry? Uh, giving people a good experience, you know, that probably they've never had before and just opening their minds into what food. It's <laughs> delicious. Yeah. Yeah, I same. Just providing, you know, we're providing ex- an experience for people. We're meeting people where they are. We're... Where we are at the Luminarium and at the Riverfront downtown, we get so many different people come in and just talking and engaging with them. You know, food is a connector and allows you to have those conversations. We met a lady the other day who was hitting her 48th and 49th state at the age of 72. Like, how cool is that? Iowa and Nebraska were her last few states that she had to go to. And it's like, we got to talk. I was chatting with her about like, where to go and what to see and what to do. And it, it was awesome to she still needs to go to Oklahoma though. <laughs> it's 50. That, that's the last one on the list. Huh? Yeah. Well, I'm glad that Nebraska got on there before Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I love to think of how many people have been pleasantly surprised to just stumble into fig because they were at the luminarium because they were on the riverfront doing something else. And they're like, Oh, there's a restaurant here. I'll eat. And then, got an opportunity to have that food. I want to tell anyone listening to this, you don't have to be doing some activity down on the riverfront to have a reason to go to this place. Like it is worth driving downtown for, or if you are downtown, it's an option for you that you should absolutely consider. Free parking. parking. Downtown, that's a huge deal. This is absolutely excellent food. Everything I've had here has been awesome. The breakfast sandwich is, if not Omaha's best, it's right up there with them. I, I'm just I'm a huge fan of what you guys have created at Lola's and now you've created that again in a different setting and a little bit different vibe at Fig. Thank you so much for your hard work in making that happen and for taking the time to come on the show today. I really appreciate it. So much for And Omaha, as always, thanks for eating with us. Ahura Media Production.